0: Now, how many of you, how many of you are fans of the Olympic Games? I mean, I got I to gotta admit, I don't really watch any Olympic sports ever unless and until the Olympics come on. It's like I'm not watching track or swimming or gymnastics or curling's pretty cool. I mean, you know, the way that they can like do their thing, but... I don't watch any Olympic sports except when the Olympics come on because of, I guess, just the, the competition and the patriotism, it all kind of comes out. And I, I get excited by that and I become a fan. And I think one of the coolest Olympic moments in recent history was about 10 years ago in 2008, the Beijing Olympics with Michael Phelps as he was trying to win eight gold medals, the most that had ever been won. And he was the heavy favorite in several individual events, so everyone expected like at least four or five gold medals, but he was also a member of several relay teams. And so they couldn't, Phelps couldn't just rely on his own amazing swimming ability, he had to rely on his teammates. And in particular, there was one event, if you remember, the 4x100 freestyle relay, where the French, those it French, it's always the French, the French were the favorites. And in fact, they had already beaten the Americans with Phelps swimming. And so Phelps starts his historic run, and he wins all of the individual races that he's expected to, piling up gold after gold. But if he's gonna have a chance to break that all time record, he's gonna have to rely on the gifts and talents of his teammates to outswim the French. He cannot do it on his own. And that's really what we're gonna be discussing today. As we continue our sermon series on the one another commands in the New Testament, we're going to be talking about how we can serve one another with our gifts and talents. And we're going to be studying a brief passage from 1 Peter chapter 4, so you can open up your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. And as you're you're turning there, near the end of the New Testament, I am going to pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you today and I ask that you would fill me with your spirit, that the words that I speak would be yours alone. Father, I I yield myself to you entirely and I pray that your truth would go forth, you would encourage our hearts and our minds, and that you would glorify yourself, that the name of Jesus would be lifted high in this passage that we study today. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start reading in verse 7, just to get the context of the passage, but really what we're going to focus on are verses 10 and 11. So let's start in in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, verses uh, through, through 11. The end of all things is at hand, therefore... As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now we're going to break this section up uh, verses 10 and 11. Again, I wanted to give you the context, which is why we started in verse 7. We're going to break this up into two sections. We're going to look at gifts, and we're going to look at glory. Pretty simple outline here as we break this passage down. And we read this entire section because I want us to see that Peter, who is is writing this letter to prepare the church to face suffering. If you were here last week, Pastor Tim taught out of this same letter, and he, he taught us how This letter was really written to prepare the church to face suffering together. And in this particular section, it's encouraging the church to be mindful of Jesus' return. And because Jesus is going to be returning soon, it says here at the beginning, right, the end of all things is at hand. He's, He's taking our eyes and putting them on Jesus and His return. He's saying, okay, because he's coming back, guys, we need to focus on the most important stuff. And then what does he say? He says, number one, love one another. That's where we started this entire series, right? We talked about the command that Jesus gave in John 13, that we love one another. And he says, be hospitable to each other. And then he says, use your gifts to serve one another. James chapter 1, verse 17, of course, tells us that every good and perfect gift is from who? From Father above, right? The Father of lights. And verse 10 here tells us that each of us have received a gift according to God's varied grace. So we're going to look at the first section here of these gifts. Now, I want us to notice right away that it doesn't say as some of us have received a gift, or as most of us have received a gift, or even as the best of us have received a gift, it says, as each of us. Every single one of us has some gift that the Lord has given us according to His varied grace. And, and one of the lies that I hear people believe and I hear people get sucked into, as the enemy kind of whispers that to us, is that we don't have anything to offer. I'm just, eh, I don't really, there's nothing that I can really offer here. Oh, they got everything under control, or what I can do doesn't really help, that I'm kind of useless to the body. And I've seen people say this who are young, I've heard people say this who are who are old, and I've heard people say this everywhere in between, for whatever their reasons are, and, and I'm sure that most of us all would intellectually know that this is a lie, but the reality is that it's very easy to begin to believe that lie and to start minimizing or neglecting or even, even rejecting the gift that we have because we don't, we don't think it's needed or we don't like the way that it applies. Can anyone relate to that a little bit? Peter is writing this to remind us that we cannot fall for that lie. It is a lie from the enemy, and we need to stand firm in the truth of the good gifts that our God has given us. Each one of us has something that is critically important for the health of the body, that we have been given according to the varied grace of God. That's what the text said, his varied grace. In the Greek, if I had a PowerPoint, I would have put it up there for you. But in the Greek, and I probably would have had a picture of like like lots of different colors. So I want you to imagine a picture. How many of you have done like a like one of those like 5K color runs, you know, where you just get like slammed by all of, the, all of the, the dyes. That's what I want you to picture in your mind. That is what varied means in the Greek. It means many colored or, or multifaceted. Romans 12.3 tells us that God has given every single one of us a specific measure of grace. And verse 10 here tells us that God's grace is varied and many-colored. Contextually, we can say that the gracious gift that God gives us, that they have a brilliant spectrum of different uses and applications, and each gift package is unique from anyone else's. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a good thing. I mean, when you think of a rainbow... How many of you can name all the colors of the rainbow? If you're like me, you immediately think of kindergarten and Roy G. Biv. All right? How many of you got Roy G. Biv going on right now? Right? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Yay, Roy G. Biv. All right? Well, the reality is that if you actually look at the spectrum of colors, you have the key colors, but in between, there is an infinite mix of all of those different colors as they blend and swirl in and amongst themselves. And, and there's little shades of e- different aspects in, in different parts of the rainbow. And so you got a little bit of red maybe mixed with a little bit of this, this, this green or this yellow or this blue, and it's, it's, it's all a vibrant, multicolored, multifaceted spectrum, and each sliver of it is very, very unique and it all comes from our god 1st corinthians 12 says to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills now just just like we can't fall for the lie that we don't have a gift to offer Neither can we fall for the lie that the gift that we've been given isn't important, because that's the other angle that the enemy will take. He'll tell you that, ah, you don't have anything to offer, or he'll say, ah, you know what, what you have to offer really isn't that big of a deal. Not that important. And Scripture makes abundantly clear that every single gift is critical to, for the proper working of the church body. Because if someone isn't using their gift, then the whole body will suffer. Two weeks ago, not this past week, but the week before, uh, I got to go with my family on a little bit of a vacation. And we went down, we took you know, those real cheap Allegiant flights down to Florida. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, Nice. Don't break the bank on those guys. And we went down to Florida, and I'm not a big fan of the beach, but my wife and kids are, so I go to the beach. (laughs) But one of the things that we got to do that I enjoyed was we got to go to this high ropes course where they had all kinds of zip lines and like obstacles, like 40 feet up in the air, and you kind of... You, you got strapped into a harness and you had to, to go and, and clip in and you were climbing through all the stuff and it was really fun. But before we got to do any of that, they took us through this little crash course on what every little piece of equipment did. And you had your little zip wheel that hooked onto the zip line and you had your helmet and your gloves and your tether and all these things. And it all worked together to keep you safe. So I'm going through this course, and they have the, the guides are on the ground. They're not up in the air with us. And as we're going through, they're building up the entire time. Hey, guys, guess what? The big zip line's coming, where you get to go over the alligator swamp, and you can see the alligators right below you. And it's amazing. It's this incredible view. I'm like, all right, this is going to be kind of cool. I get to see, like, alligators and stuff and zip right on through, and it'll be great. Yay! So I'm the first one up, and i got to climb up this tower that's like 150 feet in the air, so you build up enough speed to, like, shoop, zip through. And it's, this zip line is hundreds of feet long over this massive estuary swamp with all this different wildlife. So I get on the line, I hook my little zip wheel in, I'm all set and ready to go, and I shoop, take off. And the first 10 seconds of it are, like, amazing. As I'm zipping through, like, looking at everything, oh, hey, there's an alligator, that's cool, oh, there's a big bird, it's, like, flying up, and wow, that's... And then all of a sudden, as I'm going, I hear a pop, and I feel a shudder. And my initial thought was, well, I'm going to go get eaten by alligators right now. (laughs) As the whole line that I'm on, like, pops. And then I look up, and my zip wheel starts to smoke. And it's not just like a little smoke. I am completely enveloped by smoke, and my wheel isn't speeding up like it's supposed to. It starts to get slower and slower and slower until I come to a dead stop right in the middle of the alligator swamp. And I'm looking down, and there's like alligators looking up thinking, oh, I got lunch right here. And so I'm hanging there in the middle of this zip line wondering, what am I going to do? I'm not dead. That's a good thing. But I got at least a football field, at least 300 feet until I'm to the end of this line. And so I look out, and I see the guy there, and he's like waving his arms at me. And I kind of see him, and he catches, we kind of lock eyes, and he's like, you've got to pull yourself in. <laughs> and it was about at that point that I wished that I had died in the alligator swamp. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I am obviously standing here. I pulled myself the rest of the way, drenched with sweat because I am terribly out of shape. And... My kids made fun of me the entire rest of the trip. But what happened? We got off, we checked out my equipment, and what happened? The little, tiny little mechanism inside my zip wheel exploded. And you would think that it really wouldn't make that big of a difference. Oh, well, it made a big difference. That tiny little mechanism didn't do its part in the midst of all the other equipment that was operating. And what happened? It left me dangling above the alligators about to be eaten. And I had to pull myself, I had to struggle because of that little part not working properly. I think you see the application here, right? It's pretty obvious. There is no such thing as an insignificant gift. All of them are important and all are necessary for the healthy Functioning of the body. Because the reality is that we're not out here avoiding alligators. We're out here being stalked by a prowling lion who is seeking someone to devour. And unless we have each other's backs, unless we are working together as one body, the enemy will seek to pick us off one by one as we are left hanging, struggling to make it through. Every spiritual gift is important. And, you know, we often refer to these gifts as spiritual gifts, as I, as I just did here, because that's how they're translated in our English translations. But it's interesting to note that in the original text, the gifts are referred to as everything but spiritual gifts. The word spiritual is never even there. In Ephesians, they're referred to as simply gifts. In 1 Corinthians, they're referred to as service or workings or spiritual things. In Romans, they're called measures of faith. And most commonly, they're actually referred to as gracious gifts, not spiritual gifts. And so it's this last name, gracious gifts, that I actually kind of like the best God gives us these gifts of His grace to use for the glory of His name and for the uplifting of His people. And God's gifts can be said to be gracious in at least two ways. As we've already seen, they're given widely and freely to everyone in His body. And number two, they're given without any merit whatsoever. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned them. They're just given to us according to God's grace. Now, you might be wondering at this point, well, okay, what are these gracious gifts? Well, this sermon is not the place and time to get into all of the varied gifts that Scripture talks about, but the reality is that Scripture mentions several different gifts in both Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, And there are also other instances in Scripture where the Holy Spirit empowers people with unique talents to accomplish the Lord's work. For example, a unique gift of craftsmanship and know-how was given to Bezalel and Aholiab to build the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. You You see this in Exodus 31. So the point here that I want us to understand is that none of the lists of gifts that you see in Scripture are exhaustive. There are lots of different gifts. Remember, again, the varied grace of God, multifaceted, many-colored. There is a beautiful spectrum of gifts that our God equips us with. So, instead of going through the specific gifts, I just want to give you a definition of a gracious gift as it applies to the body of Christ. And again, if I had a PowerPoint that would be up there, but I don't, so I'm going to repeat it three times so you all get this, all right? So, God's gracious gifts, or His gracious gift, is a capacity and desire for some kingdom work, for some kingdom ministry that's given by God's grace for regular use to primarily benefit those in the church number one. I'm going to say it now my second time. A capacity and desire for some kingdom work given by God's grace for regular use to primarily benefit those in the church. And the number three. A capacity and desire for some kingdom work given by God's grace for regular use to primarily benefit those in the church. Now, Every single part of that definition matters, but we don't have time to break it down. I'd encourage you, I hope you wrote it down, I'd encourage you to think about each section of that on your own, that a gift is a capacity and desire, especially for some kingdom work or some kingdom ministry, not just a specific skill, talent, or attribute but a ministry that comes from exercising those things. See, here's the difference, right? Every single person on this planet has talents, skills, and abilities. Praise God. But those things don't become gracious gifts until they are translated into a ministry for kingdom work. Do we see the distinction there? And this is why only the people of God can be said to have his gracious gift, because that gift is encapsulated in whatever that kingdom work is he's called you to. And then the underlying skills, talents, abilities, etc., they all help you to accomplish that on a regular, consistent basis for the primary benefit of his people. Follow me? See the difference between those things? Now, our passage here, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, it gives us two general classes into which all gifts, all of these ministry callings, can be categorized. He gives, it gives us gifts of speaking and gifts of serving, two general buckets. Now, as we've said, there's a broad spectrum of gifts that, that fall into these two categories, So I'm not going to talk about that. What I'm going to talk about is the best way for us to determine what gracious gift we have. How do we do that? How do we figure out what exactly the Lord has called us to, has equipped us for? And there's primarily two kind of steps in this. One is to honestly, discerningly, introspectively evaluate yourself. And two, and this is actually the more important step is to to ask other godly men and women in your context what they see the Lord doing through you with them. What ministry are you already walking in? And so our introspection should focus on evaluating things like what what heightened or, or what capacities, abilities, skills, talents do I have? That's important to evaluate that. What unique experiences or education do I have? What what degrees of time and resources do I have? What, What gives me joy and really fills my cup when I do it? All of these are parts of that introspection that we should be asking that will give us insight into what that gracious gift, that, that capacity and desire for some ministry, for some kingdom work is. And at the same time as we're introspectively evaluating that, we should also seek confirmation and encouragement from those around us. And this isn't, we don't want to just go to the people who are going to tell us everything we want to hear. Like, I think... That the Lord really has a, a preaching ministry for me. What do you think? Oh, yeah, 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 you're definitely a preacher. Just because they say yes to you for everything. Like, no, find people who have some discernment. Who have the ability to speak truth and love to you and help to really direct your path. And as you do that, as you, as you receive godly, wise input from others, and as you honestly, introspectively evaluate yourself, over time, you're going to see a pattern emerge that will give you a very solid indication of what gift, what, what capacity and desire for some kingdom work, ministry work that the Lord has called you to. you understand that? You get that? Capiche? But even as we're discerning our unique gift, we also need to recognize that every single one of us is called to operate in every single type of ministry to some degree at different times. Just because I might have a calling and a ministry gift of evangelism doesn't mean that I'm never going to be used by God to teach or to encourage or to serve with my hands and feet. Just because I might be primarily called to one of the speaking gifts doesn't mean that I am not also called at times to serve. It's really, really important. And conversely, just because the Lord uses me sometimes to to serve or to teach doesn't mean that that is my primary gracious gift. We have to understand that too. But whatever the gift set is that we have been graciously given by our God, verse 10 and 11 make clear that it's from the Lord. And this really, really is so important. Because if we're operating in a speaking ministry, the verse says very plainly, the words we speak should be the Lord's words. There is no power in our own words, none whatsoever. And if we're operating in a service ministry, we should serve with all the strength that the Lord supplies. There is no power in our own strength. Both our words and our power will fail. But the words of our God and the power of our God, that will bring Him glory and actually begin to do amazing kingdom work. So we need to operate in the strength and the words that the Lord supplies. And in verse 11, if I were you, I would circle the word supplies. It's got a really cool Greek meaning. Literally, it means to lead a chorus. But it also could mean to pay for the expense of a chorus or a production. So in, in the Greco-Roman culture, theater and musical performances, they were usually made possible by the patronage of a wealthy benefactor. And this person was referred to as I don't I can't even say it in the Greek the, the choregos. It's what we get our word "choreography" from, all right? The kind of the choreography of a dance. The koragos was the person who paid for the production. The word Greek word supplies is koregagio. It's the same root. It's, it's all related. And because of the wealth these people had, there was a connotation of great extravagance to the Greek word supplies. So what Peter wants us to recognize here is that God supplies us with his gracious gifts in extravagant measure so that we can use them to build up those around us. He's not just given, you know, just, oh, here, take a little pittance. He supplies this to his body in extravagant measure so that we can all be choreographed properly in this production that we call kingdom work of life, going and doing the work he's called us to, not just individually, but collectively as a family. And if any one of us doesn't do our part, then that begins to break down. We, we kind of Do we see how this is all kind of coming together? The more that we acknowledge where our gifts come from, the more lavishly we see that it's our God, it's, the more that we see that it's our God who lavishly supplies them, the more humbly we'll be able to use them and the more effectively we'll operate as stewards of them. And that's another word in this text, verse 10, that I would circle is the word steward. Because these gifts are not ours, they are God's gifts. A steward was just someone who looked over the property of another That's all a steward was, and wealthy landowners back in those ancient days often had a steward to oversee their property. Well, Peter says here that we are called to be good stewards of God's varied graces. What that means is that they are not our gifts, they're His gifts, and we're simply called to wisely and responsibly exercise them for the glory of His name and the benefit of His people. And the glory of God is really what the second half of this passage is all about. Peter says that we should all use the gracious gift God supplies so that he can be glorified in us as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, the use of the gift we've been entrusted is really about obediently following Jesus. Really, this whole conversation about gracious gifts is about the greatest gracious gift, which is Christ, because the more that we seek to be like Jesus, the more that we will use the gift we've been given for the benefit of others just as Christ did everything for our benefit, right? Jesus gave everything for us when he suffered and died on the cross so that we could live, He put all of us before himself because of his great love for us. He wanted all of us to have life and peace and hope. And he wanted the world to see how amazing our Father in heaven is as he made a way for all of us to spend eternity with him through putting our faith and trust and submission to him, to Jesus, bending our knee and receiving his gracious gift to us which is salvation through his life, death, and resurrection. See, the more that we trust in Jesus as our master, savior, and king, the more that we become like him through the power of the Holy Spirit transforming us who who works in our lives. And the more that we become like Jesus, the more we'll love others and use our gifts for their benefit which just brings glory to God. We see how Peter's kind of winding this thing in just one big loop, one big circle here. It's, it's actually a pretty simple correlation. The greater we pursue Jesus and his kingdom purposes, the less we'll live for ourselves and our own selfish pursuits and the more we'll be willing to use our gift for the benefit of others as opposed to employing it selfishly for our own wants and desires. Either we're disciples becoming more like Christ and using our gifts for the benefit of the body and the glory of God, or we're just fooling ourselves we're just religious consumers seeking only our own benefit and gain, not really caring about how we can build up the body around us. And that happens very easily. It's so subtle to just slide into that. Way too many of us can fall into this where we're, we're pursuing religious devotion because of what we want out of it, because of how it makes us feel because of how I leave there. And that's not really discipleship of Jesus. That's really just religious consumerism that's meant to make me feel good. That's not what we're called to. And and the reality is that every single one of us can fall into this, or or certain areas of our lives can fall into this, where where we're not actually pursuing Jesus for the sake of becoming more like Him, because we're filled with a thanksgiving and a, a devotion to Him, so that as we become more like Him, we can share the gift with others, as opposed to just keeping it for myself and what I get out of it we see the difference between those two things? See, at the end of the day, the key to overcoming a selfish consumerist mentality is to learn to care about the glory of God. The more that we care about the glory of God, the less we will care about ourselves and our own desires and wants in this whole religious pursuit. 1 Corinthians 10 31, you all know it, says, whether we eat or drink or whatever you do, what do we do? We do it all for the glory of God. God's glory, you might be wondering, is just His, it's his weightiness, his, his value, His worth in our own eyes and the, in the eyes of those around us. And the more we seek To increase the value and weightiness of our God, the less we'll be able to keep that glory for ourselves as the Holy Spirit kills our pride and selfishness and teaches us to walk in humility and joyful obedience to our King, regardless of what we want. Because what we want will become what He wants for us. That's what the Holy Spirit does is He transforms us from the inside out. Praise God that that's so. Amen? Amen. And if we care about the glory of God, we can't help but care about His people. Because the more His people are operating in the power of the Spirit with everyone doing their part, the more that God will be glorified. So the more that the body is operating in a healthy way, the more glory God gets. And so, Bringing glory to God, really, the the practical way we do that is by serving His people. So by the grace of God, we can't be like that single solitary wheel in all the equipment that's not doing its part as it breaks down and leaves someone dangling over the alligator-infested swamp, having to struggle to get themselves out, because we chose to do our own thing. And that brings us back to Michael Phelps and his quest for eight gold medals. And as the 4 by 100 freestyle relay unfolded, Michael Phelps and the Americans, they swam their hearts out. But even after the great Michael Phelps swam, the Americans found themselves behind the French going into the last leg of the race. And if you remember, the French had Elaine Bernard, the world record holder and the best 100-meter freestyler in the entire world. And all the Americans had was a guy by the name of Jason Lezak, who had never won anything individually in his life. He was just a relay specialist. He just... One little part in the team his entire life. Well, either I'm sure you remember it or you can guess how it all played out. Through some superhuman effort, Lezac was able to catch Bernard and out-touch him at the wall. And the Americans beat the French by milliseconds. It was an incredible finish. Phelps, of course, would go on to win all eight of his medals. But despite his individual greatness, the spotlight rested on the American swim team because of how they all pulled together to accomplish something that never could have been done by any of them individually. And this is exactly how we are all called to use our gracious gift to serve one another. By the grace of God, let's, let's identify the gift, the, the ministry calling, the kingdom work that he is giving us the desire and capacity to pursue. Let's be filled with thanksgiving and worship over our awesome and mighty God and what Jesus Christ has done for us. Be so filled with his, his awesome character and person that we can't help but want to do anything other than bring Him, glory. And as as the Spirit of God kills our selfish consumerist hearts, by His grace we can begin to prioritize our relationships with each other and use our gracious gift to serve the whole body so that we all can accomplish something together that none of us would be able to accomplish on our own. All to the glory of God. To him alone belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.